Welcome to the Aviation Podcast. My name is Dave, a commercial pilot with a Group 1 IFR and a CFI candidate. On today's episode, inadvertent IMC, what's your plan? Springtime flying considerations? Smart technology in the cockpit? When to use it? When to avoid it? And a crash into Lake Simcoe kills one. Stick around, we have a great show in store for episode three of the Aviation Podcast. Hey everybody, how are you doing today? My name is Dave and thanks for tuning in to episode three of the Aviation Podcast. Today we got a great episode and I do apologize, we were a couple days behind on getting this out. I've been very busy with my uh, CFI training, so I appreciate your patience and I, I think you're going to enjoy this episode here. So without further ado, let's get right into it uh, because we have some great topics today. First off, we're going to talk about is inadvertent IMC. Uh, being springtime, this could happen. And I was up flying with a friend of mine on Monday, and we got talking about this. He is a private pilot, uh, VFR, no night rating, no instrument rating, nothing. Just a just a, a private pilot. We got talking up in the up in the air about hey, what if we got into inadvertent IMC right now? I know we always say like I wouldn't let it happen. Well, it does happen. And why does it happen to some people? I'm sure those people would have said the same. That never would happen to me. So we want to think about it before that happens so we know what to do. So the first thing that you're taught in training is, uh, you know, we get inadvertent IMC. We do a 180 and we head back into where we knew it was VMC conditions, right? Okay, that works. Sometimes it doesn't. What if you were climbing, went into IMC, did your 180, didn't quite realize what your altitude was before. Now you're descending and turning at the same time, not being proficient with instruments. You could easily get yourself into a spiral situation, which would be very deadly, depending especially on what your altitude is. So I've put together a few points here of what I personally recommend and what I was talking to my friend about on our flight there the other day. So first thing we said, commit to your decision. So if you decide that you're going to do a 180, uh, commit to it and do it. Don't do a 90. Don't do commit. Do your 180. Stay level. Don't descend. Uh, you know, just level off, make your 180 and then descend if you need to descend. But commit whatever your decision is, commit to it and do it. The second thing was divert if you need to. Uh, if your destination, if you're just going up for a local flight and you got caught in it, you're going to be going back to the same airport, then it's not really technically a diversion, but you're diverting from your plans. So pick where you're going to go and do that. Now that leads kind of into the next uh, point I had was if your airport doesn't have a instrument approach, whether it be RNAV, ILS, whatever it is, then maybe pick one that has it. Pick one that has a instrument approach that you can follow uh, if your aircraft's capable of it. If not, if your aircraft is just set up for VFR flying and you have four flight, use that. Okay, that's good. Like we're we're looking at worst case scenarios here, and we want to get back safe. So use everything that you have. So find an airport that has an approach. Fly the approach. Don't know how to do that? Okay, we'll go into that now, and that kind of leads into a few other points. 
How we're going to do that right away, go direct to on your GPS or direct to on your ForeFlight or whatever GPS app that you use on your phone. Don't have one? Pull up your GPS on your phone, map, uh, Google Maps, whatever. Go to the airport. See where the airport is? Fly that direction. It'll give you an idea. Okay? So direct to on your GPS or your four flight, that'll get us into the right area. Make sure we're at a safe altitude. If you just took off and let's say you pass through 2,000 feet, you're a, you know 1,200 feet AGL or something like that, that might not be a safe altitude. So let's get some more altitude. Maybe we can break out of those clouds and be like a VFR over the top. Again, you may not be certified to do that, but we're trying to get you out of a bad situation and you're going to be a lot more comfortable on top of those clouds. So if you can maybe pop up, great. So we want to find out, uh, you know, what that safe altitude is. If we know there's towers, anything in the area, I would say get yourself at least 2000 feet above the ground in most, most places. That's going to keep you safe. Okay. Next, don't be ashamed to declare an emergency. You're a VFR. If like, you know, if you're an IFR pilot guys, let's backtrack here for a sec. If you're an IFR pilot, file an IFR flight plan and, and fly IFR. I'm, I'm not concerned about an, I, an IFR person, so to speak. I, I think that they're going to be a little bit more proficient with their instruments and uh, be able to just say, hey, listen, it's now it's I, IMC. I'm just going to file um, you know, an IFR flight plan, pick it up, and, and away we go. We're going to go that way. However, if you're a VFR pilot, not instrument rated, declare an emergency. Like something has gone wrong here. Like, yeah, you're not currently falling out of the sky or anything. However, you're a VFR pilot in IMC. Something's gone wrong either with the weather deteriorating uh, what, and you didn't expect it, uh, or you got poor decision-making that day and you need some extra help because, you know, you, your, your head might be in the wrong place. Nonetheless, help is needed. And that's what air traffic control is there for. Call your local center, you know, in my area, call Toronto. Say, listen, I got into IMC this isn't a good situation. I'm a VFR pilot. Vector me to where I got to go. And they'll take you right down to the ground pretty much. They're all fantastic. So use that. Declare an emergency. If you get yourself into VMC, cancel the emergency. It's no big deal. Uh, I look at it same on my job outside of uh, flying. If something doesn't look right in, in my job when I'm out firefighting, call a mayday. Same thing in an airplane. Call a mayday. If you get yourself figured out, cancel it. Hey, I'm good now, guys. You think anybody's going to make fun of you for saying, hey, I'm in a bad situation. Oh, wait, I just got out of it. We're good now. Not at all. So don't worry about that. Get yourself to a safe, a safe area. Uh, make sure you call, de declare an emergency and uh, and try to get yourself back to your home airport if you know that the most. If you're very familiar with it, then try to get back there. But if not, fly to somewhere that has an instrument approach. So now this brings us back to charts. If you're a VFR pilot, I highly, highly, highly recommend getting familiar with approach charts. They may seem daunting at first, but I highly recommend just going onto YouTube even, or taking a course, or going and sitting down with an instructor. What's it gonna cost you to do some ground briefings? It's gonna cost you what, 75, 80 bucks for the hour. Sit down and go over charts. If not, like, like I said, YouTube, go on YouTube, learn how to read a chart. Okay. Learn how to put it into your GPS or even learn how to put it into ForeFlight or whatever app you use. It's very simple. Okay. Learn how to see the safe altitudes, 
how to fly the approach. And you don't have to worry so much. Like, yes, there's a lot of nuances about how, when to make your calls, when to do that. This is an emergency. Okay. Learn how to read the altitudes, learn how to fly it, learn how to get yourself down to the ground. It could save your life. And you know, when I brought this up with my friend the other day, he had no, he had no idea how to read a chart, no idea. And he, you know, he's a relatively a uh, low time pilot and, uh, doesn't fly too frequently, but I just look at it as, you know, what if you got stuck in a pickle and you have no idea how to get out? You have no idea how to fly an instrument approach. You have no idea how to fly instruments. I personally would love, this is a kind of a rant off topic. As, as you can tell with my other episodes, I like to go on a little bit of rants, but I, I right now the PPL is 45 hours. I would have no issue pushing that to 50 hours or even more to add a little bit more instrument time. Right now it's five hours instrument time. Most people just sit in a simulator and do it and it's whatever, get it out of the way. I would love to see five more hours and put it towards an instrument rating. That's fine, right? It's going to help you down the road. Put in a little bit extra time in being proficient with instruments because it really could save your life one day if you get caught in a jackpot. So that's my thing. Inadvertent IMC. Make a decision, stick to it, get yourself to a safe altitude, call center, wherever you are. If you're in a place that's completely uncontrolled, well, you know, you're going to have to figure it out on your own, but uh, declare an emergency if you, if you feel you need to, because you are in an emergency situation, and get yourself to safety. Read those charts. If you want to get some practice with it, download a simulator, download a flight simulator, pull up VATSIM, it's free for VATSIM. Fly some approaches. A lot of pilots have, have a simulator at home. Use X-Plane, Microsoft Flight Sim 2020. I don't use that for IFR, but uh, they're getting better at it. But, you know, whatever. Whatever flight sim you use, do that. Go on VATSIM so you can talk to a controller and uh, and make it happen. You could use PilotEdge, things like that as well, but uh, they're not free. I like free. So inadvertent IMC, that's it. Okay. Next, springtime flying. We're in the spring now. Temperatures are going from, uh, what was it? What was it yesterday? Plus 13 degrees Celsius to today. That's minus five, uh, to tomorrow. That's going to be 10. The weekend's going to be 15 to 19 <laughs> and then back down to zero the following week. So you get my point. The temperatures are all over the place. So springtime flying does have its, uh, challenges and the biggest challenge, especially in general aviation aircraft is carb icing. We have high relative humidity with those temperatures right in those critical ranges. So if you remember back to your PPL or CPL training, that negative five degrees Celsius to plus 15 degrees Celsius with high relative humidity. So normally over about 80%, that is your most critical range for carb icing. So if you are carbureted, it doesn't hurt every once in a while, just pull your carb heat, check it, right? Keep yourself safe. Uh, but what, what is going to show us uh, carburetor? We might have carb icing, you know, engine running rough, powers going down, unexpl like unexplainably. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that it should become just part of your normal use uh, checklist in flying. You know, you get up into your cruise every half hour, so pull your, pull your carb heat. Let it run for a second. See if it's running rough. I think we've all been there where we've pulled our carb heat at some point and we feel that rough, uh, you know, the ice coming off the carb. And it's kind of humbling. It's kind of humbling because you're like, wow, I, I didn't even think about this. I just did it because, like, you know, I was pulling power to descend and wow, I've got carb icing. 
So always something to think about. Now, other people who are flying fuel injected, what's something else that you like what icing concerns? And I'm not talking about wing icing. That's that's general on any aircraft. But what icing should we be worried about in a fuel injected aircraft? Impact icing. So impact icing is what is going to be most common in a fuel injected. And if you don't know what impact ice is, it's ice that is formed by the impact of moist air at temperatures, normally between about 10 degrees and zero degrees Celsius. Uh, and it happens normally on air scoops, throttle plates, heat valves, all that stuff. Usually forms from visible moisture, such as rain, snow, sleet, or clouds. So if you're flying an IMC, if all that's present, that's normally when it's going to happen. The most rapid accumulation can be anticipated at about negative four degrees Celsius. This type of icing can affect fuel injected systems as well as carb systems. That's why, you know, I, I kind of like bringing it up for the fuel, fuel injected as well. Okay. This also is one of the most common and main types of icing hazards in uh, turbo engine, turbocharged engines. So, so that's always something to think about as well. Um, and then, uh, right for carbureted, we got fuel ice and throttle ice as well. That's, uh, that's going to be a cause for concern. So I always just, just say, uh, springtime, the big thing is be ready to scrub a flight at any time, right? Winds are, are pretty, you know, for the most part, they're pretty, uh, uh, predictable, but they can be variable all over the place. Uh, low level wind shear, pretty common, lots of turbulence, uh, rain, quick changing, like clouds are moving quick, uh, systems are rolling in quick. So uh, changing weather conditions. So just be ready to not fly. And it goes back to that famous saying, it's always better to be on the ground wishing that you are flying rather than flying wishing that you were on the ground. And that, and that is the most true thing that I say to anybody uh, when we get talking about flying and, and decision making is just make, it, make a decision that, you know what, if later on tonight, you're going to be happy with it. You're going to say, yeah, you know what? I sh I'm happy I didn't go flying today because that wind is awful. I would have been fighting to get the plane on the ground because it's outside of my personal minimums for wind or crosswinds. You know, we actually had that. The flight I went on on Monday, we were going to go on Sunday and it was just awful. We even got to the airport, looked at everything. We both really wanted to go out flying. It was like the best day for us in uh, coordinating with our kids and our spouses and things like that but it was windy, but the wind was right down the chute. I don't mind flying with 15, 20 knot headwind. That's great. Called the weather briefer. They said, you know what? This is, this is not the best day. If you guys can go tomorrow, tomorrow Monday is going to be a fantastic day. Go Monday. Cause that high pressure system coming in. Whereas today you're, you're just going to be fighting it. And we, and that's kind of what we were saying the whole time was that why go up there and just, be at the rodeo as fun as it is. I, I like getting bounced around up there, but it's not the safest thing and there's better decisions. So we got to be better as pilots to always make the right decision, not only for us, but also for our passengers and for our loved ones that rely on us being at home. Next thing that kind of leads into, uh, or from the inadvertent IMC is the smart technology in the cockpit. I'd love to know what everybody's thought is on this. So wherever you get your podcasts, add a comment down. Let me know what you think of smart tech in the cockpit. And this is my two cents. I love it. I think it's great. 
why not use more technology to help you out? But, and there's the but, there's a time and a place for it. It seems to come up over and over and over again. When should we start introducing tech to new pilots? For me, I'm really happy that my CFI, when I was doing my PPL, said, you're not touching it until you're done your PPL. There's no need for it. You don't need it. It's not going to help you. It's only going to put your eyes down. I think that was the best information I ever had. Why, why does a PPL student need it? A PPL student has no need to be using ForeFlight or Garmin Flight or, or whatever. There's no need. And, and I challenge anybody who disagrees, send me an email, theaviationpodcast at gmail.com, and let me know your points. I would love to know, because I've yet to hear somebody with a good point as to why private pilots should have that. Pre-private pilot. I'm not saying post-license. Post-license, yes. Pre. When you're still learning, steep turns. When you're still learning, stall characteristics. When you're still learning how to land an airplane, right? Focus on those things. Focus on being a VFR pilot, then get them. Even for maps, I get it. It's nice. Your maps are always current on ForeFlight. You're not having to continuously buy maps whenever they become current, like your VMC. Learn how to read a map and, and use it in the cockpit because you're not going to be using your iPad in the flight test. And I've seen so many people, I'm not seen personally, I've heard of so many people using an, an iPad for their training and their um, uh, dev, uh, like their deviation or their uh, nav or any of that stuff. And they can't, when they get a paper map in front of them, they can't actually figure out where they are, what they're doing, uh, how to calculate a distance, because they can zoom in and out. Well, you can't zoom in and out on, on a VNC. So, like, how many nautical miles is it going to be from point A to point B, right? When, then when it comes to flight planning, they're a mess on that too because you're not properly drawing your drift lines, things like that. We get complacent when we use this technology. And that's not to say the technology is bad. It's just that we haven't built the foundation and the building blocks to become better pilots. And now we're already using something to make it even easier for us. I take it like learning addition, subtraction, multiplication. You don't first learn it by plugging it into a calculator. You learn how to do it. Long division, long addition, subtraction, long multiplication. And then you learn how to use a calculator. And you realize that it's a lot easier. However, the basics is what you need. It's less about just regurgitating. Oh, yeah, I know the number. I just key in the numbers, put it into here, and the calculator spits out the number. And now there's my answer. It's also about how did we get there? Do you know how we got to that number? Or is it just a number? How do you know it's right? How do you know you didn't key in something wrong? So that's my thing. Okay, fast forward. You're done your PPL. Get the, all the technology that you want. Get it all. Everything. You know, people always are saying, well, uh, you know, you, your iPad might die. That's why you can't use it in a flight test. Okay, well, then I have my phone as backup. Oh, well, then your phone might die. Okay, then I got my smartwatch. Oh, that might die. Okay, well... If all of that died and all my instruments died, like it's a shitty day, pardon the language. 
Like, <laughs> it's a bad day and something else has gone terribly wrong. And if, if four, five things <laughs> failed on you and then your map flies out, like you could then say, okay, well, I open the window, get some fresh air and my VNC goes flying out the window. Like you can, what if it till the cows come home? But I, I personally think that any technology is going to help you if used properly. Get yourself a mount so it's not, you're not fumbling around, you're not holding it down on your lap, you know, like you're doing in your car when you're texting and driving people. Let's go. Let's get it up. Get it on your dashboard. Get it on, uh, or like your windscreen, right? Get it on your yoke if you're in a Cessna. Uh, doesn't quite work in stick aircraft, but you get the idea. Use use ForeFlight. I think it's great. The smartwatches, I, like I said, I haven't I I haven't got into using uh, smartwatches yet. Uh, however, I've heard they're fantastic. Uh, I personally just haven't had a use for them yet to drop that kind of money. However, fill your boots. If that's something you feel will help you out and make you a safer uh, pilot, then do it. Do it. I'm all for it. I'm all for the technology post PPL. Get your private, learn how to fly the plane, then start adding the other building blocks, okay? Then with that, on to news. We just have one sad, it's not much that we can talk about today. It's a sad announcement, and unfortunately it happened while we were taxiing to take off this uh, this Monday. A small two-seater home-built, uh, we don't know, they're assuming it's home-built, I, I they haven't released that information yet, but a small two-seater aircraft crashed two and a half kilometers off the shore of, in, into Lake Simcoe, off the shore of Brecon, uh, which is in Aurelia, Ontario, uh, killing one, the pilot. Now, there's not too much uh, information out about it right now, other than that the plane went through the ice and uh, that the pilot, who was the sole occupant on board, has passed away. So my condolences to the family and all affected in this. That's a, it's a horrible situation and we never like seeing this happen in our aviation community. And I wish uh, nothing, um, but, uh, closure and, um, you know, a, a better times ahead for the family. We will talk about some things later on. Uh, and again, I never, ever, especially in a fatal crash, like to go back and try to see what they did wrong. Because to me, that's just not fair. It's not fair to the family. It's not fair to the deceased. And it's not fair to anyone who is involved in the situation. However, I do think that going back and looking at how we can become better pilots and how we become safer pilots, how that can that can be very beneficial. And unfortunately, in, in my, my career and also in my hobby with flying, all those new safety advancements normally come from something catastrophic like this. So you hate to you hate to to look at these things because somebody lost their life. However, if we can save somebody from doing the same thing again. I think that it's worth it. So we will touch base on this again when more comes out about it. However, at this time, I just want to send my condolences to the family and all who are affected in the, in the accident. 
And the last uh, piece of news, there's not too, too much going on right now. Unfortunately, a lot of people aren't flying right now. But there was a cool article that I saw about an Air Bravo, which is a medevac uh, company. They had nose wheel issues, and it just got me thinking as well about what to do if this were to happen. So I really liked what they tried. I think they did everything um, you know, the best they could. They heard a loud bang come from the nose wheel and had a nose wheel uh, alert alarm come on and remain on. So they flew around, did some uh, did some checklists, whatever, nothing, nothing really came of it. Then they went to, to do their approach, put the gear down, and the nose gear was not alerted. Uh, uh, was not. Oh, actually, I think it actually said that it was down and locked. However, the alarm was still on, saying that it, there was an issue. So they did a flyby by the tower, and the tower said that it looked like it was about halfway down. So the nose gear was not in a good position. It was not fully down. It was not locked. So what they did, uh, obviously, I'm sure they ran a few checklists before trying this. They uh, they did try to do the emergency gear uh, lowering, uh, manual, and to no avail. Then what they did was came down and did a few hard landings on the mains to try to unlatch it, like uh, unstick it, and get that to uh, fix in the down and locked position. However, none of that worked. And it stayed in the in the middle position. And it, when they landed, actually, they shut the engine off, landed, and then uh, nose wheel collapsed and and substantial damage to the aircraft. However, the two pilots and three passengers on board all were safe, no to minor injuries. And I think the pilots did a great job. And actually, the article I read pointed out, and kudos to the pilots. Even with the nose gear going down and crashing and the nose going into the cement, remained on the center line. Good work, pilots, guys, girls, whoever it was, good job. But ultimately, all that aside, the pilots got the airplane down and safe, uh, and they did what they could, right? Tried to, to dislodge it and get it into the down and locked position. Didn't work, but they did the best that they could. I think that's fantastic. There's also been, just speaking of now, uh, retractable gear aircraft. If anybody listening flies retractable gear aircraft, I have heard of two separate instances close to me, close into my, my geographical location in Ontario, southern Ontario, where the pilots have not put the landing gear down and landed on their belly for no reason. Just remember, guys, it's so easy to get complacent, especially in training, multi-engine training, because... Let's say when you do engine out stuff, that landing gear warning buzzer is going off the entire flight. And then when you come into land, it's still going off and you've totally zoned it out by that point. Try to not be complacent. Run your gumps checks all the time. Even run it when you're flying in fixed gear. What's it going to hurt you? It was so funny, actually, when we were going through all of it. My instructor, when I was doing my group one IFR, we said, okay, gums check. G, guess you got to put the gear down. U, you sure that the gear's down? M, make sure that gear's down. P, pretty sure that gear is down. And S, sure, I think it's down. So that was our gums check. <laughs> make sure that gear's down. That's the big thing. Right? Gear, 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 gear. You don't want to land on the belly when you don't need to. Uh, 
it's just, uh, yeah, it's, I can only imagine like the, the heart stop when you're touching down and you're, Oh, what, what <laughs> we're on our belly. It'd be awful. So just always remember that guys, if you're flying retractable gear aircraft, let's make sure that gear is down. Let's become better pilots. And I think all of you have made the step today to become better pilots. Just listening to this podcast, going through some things, you know what we're going to, that's getting the brains going, the brain going and thinking about how we're going to become better pilots. But remember every day, let's become better pilots. Let's be safer again, not only for us selfishly, but for the people who rely on us, our family and our friends. Okay. Thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in. That's all we have for this week. I look forward to next week's podcast. I would love it if anybody has any feedback or questions, please email me at aviationpodcast.com. More than happy to read your questions or comments on the podcast. So for episode three of the Aviation Podcast, see you later. Keep it inside of the podcast.